Hi, welcome to the New Covenant Presbyterian Church Sermon Podcast, a congregation of the Orthodox Presbyterian Church, the OPC, in the San Francisco Bay Area. Brothers and sisters, if you would, please turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter 5, and if you would, please rise as we honor the public reading of God's Word. We're looking at verses 1 through 5 here this morning. 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 to 5. The elders who are among you I exhort, I who am a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, and also a, a partaker of the glory that will be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God which is among you, serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly, nor as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. Likewise, you younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility, for God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. And thus far, the reading of God's word. You may be seated. Let's go to the Lord once again in prayer. Oh, Father, as we sang earlier, so it is true that it is so good and pleasant to see brothers dwelling together in unity. May it be, O Lord, that we would be knit together in love, even through the preaching of your word as it works holiness into our hearts, as as the light of the gospel is shown into our hearts and we see your grace more clearly. Lord, may it be that we would be enabled by your spirit to love one another well, to submit one another well, to submit where we need to submit, to rule where we need to rule, and yet in all things to be clothed with humility that your name might be praised, O God. For we ask all this in the name of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. We're now coming to the end of 1 Peter. We're now on the last chapter, chapter 5. We'll be looking just one more week uh, at the last part of chapter 5, and then we'll be done with 1 Peter. One of the things that has been crystal clear all throughout this particular book, and something I've mentioned over and over again, is that it matters how you suffer. It matters how you suffer. It is not enough simply to endure suffering. There is a requirement that Peter makes over and over again upon you, even in the midst of your suffering, that you must suffer in a godly way. Your godliness in the midst of your suffering does matter. And one of the things that Peter has particularly pointed out is that it's not just your godliness in terms of your individual actions, but in all of the ways that you interact with everyone else around you, in every single relationship around you, you need to show forth this godliness even in the midst 
of suffering. And so Peter has spoken to us in chapter 2 of our relationship to the government, citizens' relationship to the government in the midst of suffering. Even when the government is doing bad things, we need to show forth our godliness and our relationship to the government. Even in the situation of slaves and masters, Peter will say, in, again in chapter 2, we need to show forth our godliness. In the situation of husbands and wives, we need to show forth our godliness in chapter 3. Even Christians among themselves, chapter 3, or even Christians towards unbelievers, even in the way we use our spiritual gifts within the church while we suffer, all of these things, in every single way that we can relate to other people, in the midst of our suffering, there must be a godliness and a holiness of living. That is what is required. It is not simply that you would endure the suffering, but that you would endure it in such a way that when people see your suffering, they can glorify God because they see that you are continuing to live a godly life even as you suffer. Now, this passage here is the last area of, in terms of a relationship that people can have among themselves that Peter is going to address in this letter, and that is the relationship of elders to members within the church the relationship of elders and members within the church. When there is suffering, and again, this is the context of the entire letter, when there is suffering, Peter will still uh, give exhortations to the church, with, particularly with regard to elders, the way that they rule in the church, and members, how they are supposed to interact with the elders. And so here too, even in the church, and perhaps even most importantly, within the church, it is important that you suffer well by living a godly life in terms of your relationships to one another within the church. Now, this is something that we even see uh, from the context. Peter has just said at the end of chapter 4 that the judgment is going to begin with the household of God. From chapter 4, verses 12 to 19, he's giving the people of God um, great encouragement as to why they are to suffer well in this life. He's related to the, the great blessings that they are going to receive, even the vindication uh, at the end of chapter 4 that they will receive as the judgment begins with the household of God. Now, here in chapter 5, he is going to describe for us what it looks like for the household to function well. If judgment is going to begin with the household of God, what then must the household do? How are the elders supposed to act towards the members? And how are the members supposed to act towards the elders? Now, the reason this is important and why it even is um, in some ways distinct from other uh, teachings with regard to the way members and elders are supposed to interact within the New Testament is because in, in 1 Peter, there is this particular emphasis on suffering. And we've looked at this with, in terms of the other relationships that Peter gets into as well, that whenever we suffer, there's always a temptation to sin in terms of the particular relationships we have with others. And even more than that, there is a particular temptation to sin against those with whom we are closest and against those who we owe love to because of our relationship to them. And the church is no different. When we suffer, there is a particular strain that gets put on elders within the church to uh, abuse their position or to, to give in to the frustration and the stress of having to go through uh, difficult times, and there is sin that can come from that. As well, in the midst of suffering, there is a temptation for members not to submit to their elders out of frustration about decisions that are being made or perhaps just the stress of difficult times that we are going through. And so this is something that we need to keep in mind, particularly as we are going through uh, very, very difficult times, as we have uh, been looking at. Uh, the reason why we're going through First Peter is because of the particular difficulties that uh, has come to everyone in the world for this particular year. But we have to remember that there will be 
if it's not already happened, temptations for those who are in office serving as elders to sin because of the, the, the temptations and stress of the, the challenges of the times. And there will also be temptations for members not to submit to elders during this time. But it is, as Christians, our duty to continue to serve one another well, to, to uh, fulfill the roles that God has given to us within the church well, that his name might be honored even during difficult times. All relationships within the church are always, and particularly in suffering, to be characterized by humility and love. By humility and love. Uh, as members lovingly and humbly submit to their elders, and as elders lovingly and humbly lead the flock. That is uh, the, the, the defining feature of relationships within the church. Now we're going to look at this passage under two headings. You'll, know, you'll notice uh, as we read the, the passage that there is um, a much heavier emphasis on the instructions given to elders. So in verses 1 to 4, we're going to consider the instructions given to elders, the exhortation given to them. And then in verse 5, we're going to consider the charge that's given to the members of the church. So the elders and the members, the elders in verses 1 to 4, and then the members in verse 5. Look with me again then at uh, verses 1 to 4, particularly verse 1, as we begin to consider the way in which Peter exhorts the elders to shepherd the, the church of God well. Now notice all of verse 1, in all of verse 1, Peter is setting the stage for his exhortation that he's going to give. He's giving this exhortation in the form of a charge that he's, he's giving to the elders of the church. And so in verse 1, he actually begins the passage by emphasizing who he is as one who is giving this exhortation and charge to the elders. And he's doing this in order to show the weight and the gravity of what he's going to say. And so, uh, you know, if I, were to, um, if I were to give you an example of maybe a complete stranger giving you a charge, you may look at a charge that a stranger could give you if someone like randomly walked up to you on the street and says, you know, you really need to do this or that thing. You, you may just completely disregard it. But if you were in a situation where you were in the presence of some sort of high government official and they solemnly tell you that there is something that you need to do or to consider to do, there would be quite a, a big difference between those two charges that are made. And so Peter, as he is beginning to give this charge, is reminding the, the church that he's giving these charges to of who he is in order to give weight to the charge that he is about to give. Now, what's interesting about this What's interesting about this is the very first thing that he says, as he's describing who he is, the one who gives the charge, is that he is a fellow elder. He's going to exhort and charge elders as one who is himself a fellow elder. Now, this is very important because Peter is, is in some ways an elder. We see through in the New Testament, for, for instance, in Acts 15 with the Council of Jerusalem that the uh, apostles do act as elders within the church. But more fundamentally, Peter, as he says at the beginning of the letter, is more than an elder. He is an apostle. He has the right and the ability to command as an apostle, yet even as he's trying to give weight to why the elders need to receive his charge, he emphasizes not the authority that he has over them, but the way in which they are the same. He is, he is exhorting them as a fellow elder rather than commanding as a superior apostle. 
And this is something that uh, all of us, I think, can learn. This is something that, for instance, that Paul does the same thing uh, in his letter to Philemon as he's uh, speak, giving him instructions with, with regard to Onesimus. He says, you know, I know I have the authority to command you, but I would rather appeal to you in love. Rather than command, I appeal out of love. It is not always the wisest thing if you are in a position of authority to show forth your position of authority by commanding those who are under you. It is often very wise to emphasize the thing that you have in common with those who are underneath you and to appeal humbly, not giving up your authority, but yet still uh, recognizing the things uh, that draw you together. This can be especially helpful uh, as parents. It's something that we can uh, remember to do, that we do have very real authority over our children, and yet there are ways in which we can appeal in love rather than simply always command as those who are over. And so Peter here, the first thing that he says to give weight to what he's saying is actually emphasizing what he has in common with all of these other elders. And it's a wonderful example of his own humility as he's about to exhort the elders and the members themselves to humility. Now notice the second thing that he says. The second thing that he says is that he is a witness of the sufferings of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now this was uh, a requirement for him to be an apostle. If you were going to be an apostle, or if you say the one thing that was consistent with all the apostles, is that they were eyewitnesses of the Lord Jesus Christ himself. This is why, you know, when Judas is, um, is, goes his own way and ends up committing suicide and needs to be replaced, one of the requirements then in Acts chapter 1 is that they have to choose someone who had been with them from the beginning because it was necessary that every apostle be an eyewitness of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so Peter is, is saying, I am charging you now as one who is myself an eyewitness of the sufferings of the Lord Jesus Christ. But there's another reason I think why he's doing this, and that is because uh, Peter has already drawn links many times in First Peter between the sufferings of Christ and the sufferings of the church. In, in many ways, they go together. The church is the body of Christ, and as the church suffers, it is in fact Christ that's suffering. And so Peter is now giving instructions to those who are suffering as one who himself has witnessed the sufferings of Christ, which they're suffering themselves, the, the church's suffering, is an extension of. Their suffering is an extension of the sufferings of Christ, which Peter himself is an eyewitness of. That is to say that Peter has authority to speak to the church with regard to their sufferings. And in those situations to give authoritative instruction. And so he says, I'm a fellow elder and I am a witness of the sufferings of Christ. Third, the last thing he says, again, to give weight to the charge that he's going to give, is that he is a participant in the glory which is to be revealed. The glory that will be revealed when the Lord Jesus Christ returns for the second time. Here it's following the very basic pattern of the scriptures that is present all throughout, going all the way back to Genesis and all the way to Revelation, that it is always uh, suffering which precedes glory. There is always a humiliation, and then there is an exaltation. And what Peter is saying here is that he, as one who is a witness of the sufferings of Christ, is also one who will participate in the coming glory. And because he is going to be a participant in it, you need to listen to what he says. This is not just some no one who is giving uh, this particular charge, but he is one who will participate on the last day in the glory to be revealed. And so with all of that as kind of a, a, a foundation for the charge that is given, listen to this, this person in all of his humility as a great apostle. Listen to what he has to say. What, what is it, in fact, that he does say? 
the first thing he does in charging the, the elders of the church is tell them that they need to be shepherds. Now, I realize as I am speaking for a, a long time on the requirements of elders that most in this room are not elders and most will never be elders. And so why is it important for you to understand the charge that's given to elders? Well, there are actually uh, many reasons that we could say. Um, one, it is always easier to submit to somebody if you understand the difficulties of their own position, the weight of what they themselves are called to. It can be easier for you to give grace to an elder if you understand the weight of responsibility that an elder has. And so it's something to remember. I think very, very often when members are tempted not to submit to elders, they forget really what it is that an elder is called to because it is quite a weighty thing. And if we recognize that, I think it would be, we'd be more inclined to give grace to those who rule over us as, as elders. But secondly, another reason why you need to, to know what it is uh, that elders are required to do is because you need to be praying for your elders and you need to know how you are to pray. I covet your prayers for leadership within this church, and Dennis covers, covets your prayers in exactly uh, the same way as well. We have uh, one other person serving on our session from uh, the Sunnyvale Church. We all covet your prayers, and it is good for you to be informed as to what is required of an elder so that you can know how to pray for us, that we would be able to fulfill our duties well within the church. Now, notice again the main thing that's said and really everything that follows is an extension of this one command. There's only one command in the original language, and that is to shepherd the church of God. That is to be a shepherd within the church of God. This idea of shepherding is a common figure that's used for, for godly leadership all throughout the Bible, and even very regularly applied to God himself. The idea is that, you know, obviously, it's completely contrary to the idea of uh, lording it over others, the idea is being a humble shepherd who seeks out the sheep that are lost, who cares for them, who rules and defends them, uh, keeps them from going astray, keeps them on the right path. This is what God himself does for us as David, who is himself called to be a shepherd of Israel, speaks of God saying that God is my shepherd. He is the one who leads me. He guides me. And I know that I'm safe as long as I, as I have the Lord as my shepherd. This is what every elder is called to. Even the, the word pastor is really just a, a Latin word uh, for shepherd. The, the idea is that we would be shepherds over the church of God. And so this is the most fundamental thing that you can pray for elders is that they would, that we would uh, shepherd the church of God well. Now, it, as we as Peter gets into a, a bit more detail about what it looks like to actually shepherd, the main thing that he emphasizes is that Elders are to serve as overseers. And here the, in the original, the, the idea is just that it's, a, it's just the action of overseeing. You are to shepherd well by overseeing. That's, that's the idea. The, the way in which you shepherd is by overseeing those who are within the church. If you were to ask, what is it that the shepherds oversee or what is it that the elders oversee within the church? It is they are overseers of your souls for your good. This is what the writer to the Hebrews says in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17. He, as in that passage too, he's exhorting the members to submit to their elders. And he says, you're to do this because the elders watch over your souls. So think about the weight of this duty that all elders are called to. 
They are called to watch over your souls before God. And in some ways then, to be an extension of God's own shepherding over your souls for your good to lead you finally to heaven. It is quite a big responsibility. You know, doctors are entrusted with the care of the body. And we know the, the weight that that duty has. If a doctor messes up, the body is in peril in some ways, and that's a very dangerous thing. Elders, though, are entrusted with not just the body, but the souls of people, where there is not just a temporal danger, but there is even an eternal danger that they have to, uh, that they have to reckon with. And in their wisdom, then, their de- the decisions that they make will either lead to a greater spiritual maturity, whereby people will be led to heaven, or they will be uh, things that will lead people to hell. It is quite a weighty responsibility. They are overseers of the souls of the congregation, and they are to shepherd them well as God himself would shepherd. Now, that's, that's the weight of what an elder has in terms of his duty before God. He is an overseer of the souls of the flock of God as an under-shepherd, as we'll see later on. And now, if this is then the charge, if this is then what they're to do, uh, Peter gives a number of things. There's three things that he gives in terms of the manner in which they're, they're to do this. So not only is the duty itself very weighty, but even the way that elders are to do this is supposed to reflect a great godliness and holiness. And, and Peter gives, again, three contrasts in terms of uh, three ways that are not to do this and three ways that they are to do this. He says, first, not by compulsion, but willingly. There needs to be a great desire to serve uh, in the office uh, of elder. This is something that uh, uh, Paul mentioned in 1 Timothy chapter 3 is one of the re- requirements. He says, you know, if anyone desires the office of overseer, then he desires a good thing. If anyone has that desire, it is, in fact, a good thing. And this needs to be uh, the case for all those who serve in office as elder. And this is particularly important as we consider, again, the context of 1 Peter being one of suffering. Because very often when we suffer, it's there that we reevaluate the things that we are doing. Am I really doing this because I want to do it? Very often that question, that temptation comes back to us and is pressed upon us more when we're suffering. It's when we're suffering that we give up certain things that we are doing that are hard, that we may not see why they're important. We cling to the things that we really desire to do and we, that we see are important. And here, Peter is saying that you are not to do it by compulsion, because if you're only doing it b- because you're compelled to do it, then you will, are not doing it for the right reasons. And when things get tough, when things get tough, you will not be able to persevere. Do not do it by compulsion, but you must do it willingly. Even understanding the full weight of everything that comes with being an elder, you must do it willingly. Notice, secondly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly. Not for the sake of obtaining something for yourself, whether it be any financial advantage or even something beyond finance. I think Peter does have in mind here mostly the idea of finances. There needs to be uh, no greed in an elder. He has, um, you know, in some ways, um, there are, you know, no, there needs to be no temptation, for instance, to try to take the church's money or anything like that. Um, but also, even though that is, I think, the main emphasis of the passage, um, there also needs to be no desire for dishonest gain in in other ways, that there would be uh, a desire to have one's reputation enhanced, and you're only being an elder just for that reason. Anything that in any way shows forth dishonesty, I think, is excluded here by what Peter is saying. There needs to be an eagerness, a genuineness to serve simply 
for the sake of serving. Uh, remember what the Lord Jesus Christ said when after the disciples come back, Jesus said he was hungry and he uh, is talking to the woman at the well in John chapter four. And after she leaves, the disciples come back and they uh, ask him if, he's, if anyone's brought him any food. And what Jesus says is my food is to do the will of the one who sent me. This really needs to be the attitude of the elder. I am not seeking other things as I'm serving in the office of elder. I am seeking to do the will of my father. And that's it. That is my food and it is in fact sufficient for me. Now the third thing that's said is that elders are not to lord it over those who are, in, uh, who are entrusted to them, but they are to be examples to the flock. They're not to lord it over them, but they are to be examples to the flock. Here, Peter is uh, pretty clearly picking up on Christ's teaching in Matthew chapter 20 and in Mark chapter 10, where he says, let the greatest among you be the one who serves. He says, you know, the, the, the Gentiles and the lords and the rulers of this age, they lord it over those uh, whom they are in control of. But it's not to be so with you. The one who is great among you is to be like one who serves. And then Jesus then gives an example of himself, like I myself did not come to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. And so in the same way that an elder is called to not lord it over those who are under them, but to be an example of humility and self-denial, to have in this way a cross-shaped service of ministry within the church, to give one's life for the sake of others, that others might see that example and be encouraged also to take up their cross and follow the Lord Jesus. Not to lord it over others, but to be an example of godliness for the flock, for the church of the Lord Jesus. Now, this is uh, a summary then. This is the complete summary of the duties that Peter is requiring of all elders. And this is uh, vitally important, you know, without good elders within the church. And this is even one reason why we all need to be praying that God would provide us with many elders. It's something uh, that we as a church are in desperate need of, that God would provide us with elders. It's even something to consider in your own hearts, you know, something to strive for, that you would uh, strive for godliness of character to see whether or not uh, maybe perhaps even you can serve in the office of elder. If you are a man and you uh, think that you may be uh, called to that sort of thing, it is something that we need to be praying for, that God would provide us with many elders uh, within uh, this church. Now, he then gives a bit of encouragement in verse 4 as he concludes the, the exhortation to elders by saying, and when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. So even here in verse four, the idea is uh, even as you are called, if you are an elder to serve as a shepherd, you are to shepherd the flock of God, you are to do that recognizing that there is in fact a chief shepherd. This in, in very many ways defines the kind of authority that an elder has. It can in some ways be, be compared to that of a babysitter. You hire a babysitter, you expect the babysitter to uh, watch your kids in a way that reflects your own uh, parenting styles and the, the way in which you exercise authority over your kids. There is a real authority, a real authority that a babysitter has over, over children when they're hired, but it is not authority to do things that are contrary to the parents' wishes and desires. It's very similar with elders within the church. We are under shepherds of the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the chief shepherd. He has the ultimate authority. He makes all the rules. 
He is the one ultimately that we follow. He is the one ultimately who will reward those who uh, do things well within the church uh, of, uh, that he has purchased with his own blood. The church is his church and elders are to serve as under shepherds reflecting the will of the son himself. And so this is the way in which, uh, which we are to exercise our own authority. But notice there is a reward. That's the main point of verse four. That at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, this one who is in fact the chief shepherd, for those who serve well in the office of elder, they will receive a crown of glory that does not fade away. Similar to the imperishable inheritance that is described in chapter one, verse three. Uh, this is the, the reward that will come when the, the Lord Jesus Christ returns from heaven. And just as all throughout the book of 1 Peter, as the church suffers and as the church goes through difficult times, Peter is always pointing the church in every situation to the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is ultimately the time when we will receive back our reward for all of our sufferings. So too, it's the case for those who serve in the office of elder, that those who serve in the office of elder, that they will receive back a great reward for their service. If they do it well, they will receive back a reward at the time when the Lord Jesus Christ returns from heaven. And so in the midst of all the difficulties that can come with serving as an elder, ultimately, it is worth it. It's worth it because God himself will reward us. He will reward those uh, who serve well, and that reward will last into all eternity, since it is something that will never fade away, as Peter says in verse 4. And so, this is the full charge that's given to the elders. And again, it's important for everyone to understand what is required, that you can be praying for those who are elders, that you can be praying for more elders, that you can be examining whether you might one day serve as an elder, and that you might be encouraged to submit. And it is this last thing that Peter then emphasizes in verse 5, particularly at the beginning. Likewise, you younger people, uh, younger people here I think is just generically being juxtaposed with the idea of an elder. Elders are clearly the formal uh, office of elder in verses 1 to 4, so younger people I think just means member in general. Likewise, you younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. In light of all of these things, and in light of the difficulties that the church was facing in Peter's day, and that the church would always face, in light of all of these things, submit to your elders. Recognize how difficult it is to be an elder. Recognize the weight of the duty that has been given to those who serve as elders, and submit to those who are in that position. Notice, notice that this is a command. There is, in fact, a command for you as members of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ to submit to those who are ruling over you as elders in the Lord. It's absolutely a requirement for those who serve as elders to, to rule in a way that they show forth even their servitude. They're to serve as servant leaders. But even as that's true, it's still a requirement for you to submit to those whom God himself has put over you as elders in the Lord. And this is, in fact, for those of you particularly who are members of this particular church, this is, in fact, something that you, you took a vow before God that you would do. Remember, this is one of the vows of membership that you took, that you would be uh, submissive to the church in its discipline of you, even if you should be found delinquent in doctrine and life. That's, that's the level of, uh, of commitment that you have made as a vow before God that you would do. 
a vow before God. You have promised to God himself that you would do. If you do not submit to the elders of the church, it's not just that you are sinning against us, but you are sinning ultimately against God before whom you took the vow to actually do this submitting. It is a sin against uh, God himself, and it is a Christian duty always to submit, and in particularly, again, even when it's hard, even when it's hard, even when the church is going through difficult times, even if you may not agree with all the decisions that, that we make with regard to how we're handling the coronavirus, for instance, or whatever other else, all these things are very difficult. There are a lot of uh, things that we need to take into account ourselves, and we can honestly tell you as a session before God that we have made all the decisions with a clear conscience and the way that we best understand the scriptures and for the sake of your spiritual good. We can say that uh, to you, that we are making all of our decisions to that end. And so in light of that, it is for you to submit. It is a Christian duty. And when the church, when the church suffers and the world looks into the church and it sees chaos, it does not see members submitting to their elders and it does not see elders serving humbly those whom God has given to them. When the church looks in and sees only discord and disunity, it, when, when the world sees that, it does not bring honor to the Lord Jesus Christ, but it actually brings dishonor. It is when the, when the world looks into the church and can see only chaos, that what Paul says of uh, the Jews who do not serve really serve God in Romans 2 comes to pass, that the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of us. The name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles when the Gentiles look into our churches and they do not see love and humility. That is the call that Peter is giving here. Notice as well, one last thing that Peter says. There is a sense in, in the beginning of verse 5 where members are to submit to elders, but then also there is still a kind of mutual submission that is always true for elders and members and just everyone within the church. Paul does something very similar in Ephesians chapter 5 as he's describing the different relationships within uh, the family in particular, where he says we are all to submit one to another, and then he says that wives are submitted to their husbands. There is, a, there is a definite sense in which a wife submits to a husband, but yet there is another sense in which a husband and a wife actually submits to one another. And the same thing with parents and children. There's the, the authority structure is always there. The parent's always the parent. He always has authority. The child always needs to obey. And yet, there is still a sense in which the parent does submit and the children submit. It works both ways. There is a, a mutual submission within the church that always happens. That does not undermine the authority structures that are there, uh, but yet is nevertheless true. Even as Christ himself, who is the Lord of all, yet submits himself uh, to death and comes to serve others. And so Peter says this, yes, all of you, be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility for God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. As one commentator said, humility is the oil that allows relationships in the church to run smoothly and lovingly. Humility is the oil that allows relationships in the church to run smoothly and lovingly. And this is something that all of us must remember. Whenever we look at another Christian who is in this church, this is somebody that the Lord Jesus Christ has loved enough to give his life for, to die for. And in light of that, we need to do what Paul has said in Philippians 2, to consider others as more important than ourselves. That's what humility means. It's not that we would put ourselves down, but that we would truly consider others more 
than we consider ourselves. And this is the way in which the church can be knit together in unity. And Peter even uh, says, quoting from Proverbs chapter 3, that God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. This is something that's been true from the beginning and to the end of Scripture. And as Peter does all throughout this particular book, he always, uh, he always proves his points by citing other passages from the Old Testament. It's no different here. And this idea of God resisting the proud but giving grace to the humble, he's quoting one verse, but really in many ways, this is a summary of something, of a theme that is strong all throughout the Bible. Whether or not we are talking about um, the way in which God uh, chooses Isaac over Ishmael, the way in which he chooses uh, Jacob over Esau, even though Esau is the firstborn, the way in which he chooses Joseph uh, over all of his brothers, or Joseph is younger and he's betrayed and all of these things, uh, the way in which uh, Hannah herself as one who is despised and rejected yet becomes uh, the one who is honored, the way in which Jeremiah as a prophet is in the same way despised, but yet he's humble and therefore he is exalted uh, by God. All throughout the scriptures, there are these examples all the way through of God opposing the proud, opposing proud men like Herod, Nebuchadnezzar, Pharaoh, casting them down, and yet raising up, giving grace to those who are humble. And this action is really uh, predominantly seen in the Lord Jesus Christ himself, who is the perfect example of humility, as he, as the eternal son of God, becomes man, becomes a man like us, so that he would even die for our sins. And it's because of this act of humility then that God says that he will raise him up and give him the name that is above every name, that at his name every knee would bow in heaven and earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The idea is Christ humiliated himself, and because he did that, God gave him grace. And this is now going to be the pattern for every Christian, and it is to be the thing that people should be able to see within our church. And when they look at our church, they see love and humility. Members submitting to elders, elders shepherding the church well, and everyone submitting one to another. It does matter. It does matter. In the midst of all the challenges that this year has brought, it matters that you persevere in the way in which you treat other people within this church. It matters. It brings honor and glory to God when you do these things well, when you live a godly life, when Christ gives you the grace to do this by his spirit. This is even, it's important because even more than this, it's often, it's very often in our lives, we sin against quickly those with whom we are closest and to whom we owe love to. It's something we must always be conscious of, that when things get challenging, we're going to be tempted to sin against those whom we say we love the most. And it's those relationships that it's more important than anything else that we get right if we are to live a godly life, even in the midst of suffering. May it be that God would give us the grace to do so, that when Christ returns, we would all receive uh, that great inheritance, which is being kept for us. And in so doing, uh, all of the nations would glorify God when they see the way in which we suffer rather than blaspheme him. Let's pray. Oh, Father, how we do thank you for the grace that you have given to us. We thank you, Lord, for the spirit that does work this love and humility within our hearts. We do pray, Lord, for a greater measure of your spirit, that these things might increase in our lives, 
that even as in Psalm 133, there is the comparison of brothers dwelling in unity to the anointing, uh, the anointing with oil ultimately pointing to the anointing with the Spirit, Lord, that we ourselves would be anointed with the Spirit in this way and that it would be shown forth in the same things, brothers dwelling together in unity. Help us, O Lord, to love one another that the whole world might see that we are disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ and that he himself might be honored and praised. For we ask all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you found this sermon helpful, please give us a five-star review as this will help make the Word of God preached more available to others. Also, if you'd like to find out more about our church, you can visit our website at newcovopcssf.com. That's N-E-W-C-O-V-O-P-C-S-S-F.com.